So I hope everyone's enjoying their first full week of February. Uh, it was very different. On Monday, I was out doing yard work. On Friday, I was shoveling snow. I don't know if you guys enjoyed the weather, but I'm disappointed that it snowed. <laughs> but we're supposed to have an early spring, so we can all look forward to that. So as I've been preparing for this Sunday, I was digging into the life of James. At the start of his life, James was full of unbelief, and he was convinced that Jesus was nothing more than just his eldest half-brother. That was, of course, until Jesus came and saw him after he rose from the dead, and saw him in the flesh. That would turn his mind pretty quick. After that, James was pivotal in bringing many people to Christ, and he became a pillar of the church to show us how a spiritual relationship can be lived out in our earthly world. Now, what I personally loved about James is that he's a straight shooter. He did not beat around the bush on any of his topics, and his teachings are intensely practical. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand what James is trying to tell you. He simply works at helping us live out our faith in everyday life by performing good deeds. So as we dig into James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, it was all focused on favoritism. The truth is, we all play favorites. When it comes to anything, we have favorites. Personally for me, my favorite sports team is the Chicago Cubs. Look, got some people. There we go. They're everywhere. They're everywhere, I promise. But it took a little bit, but Mallory finally got on board with the Chicago Cubs, which was very important because at our wedding, we had some Cub things going on. When we were announced as husband and wife, we played Go Cubs Go as we walked off. They also, they have this giant W flag that they hang over uh, Wrigley Field after every win, and we had that for everyone to sign because that was probably the best one I'm going to get. All right? So, and then I've also named my dog Wrigley after their field. So you can say we're pretty close with the Cubs. But we don't just have favorites when it comes to sports teams. I have my favorite restaurants. I have my go-to movies. I love board game nights. Shoot, even if you've ever been to my house, I even have a favorite spot on the couch. Now, the problem with that is my dog. He also likes that spot. So I have to fight him like 60-pound bear constantly to try to get him off my spot. He knows. He knows what's right. Favorites can be tricky because it's based on our own judgment. In James 2, 1 through 4, it says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So when I was reading this, I found it very amusing, uh, pretty much because if your wealth was valued on your outward appearance, <laughs> I would be in huge trouble. I don't know if you guys noticed, but I have no style whatsoever. And this is the best you're going to get, right? <laughs> if you come to youth group, you'll often find me in cow print shorts. I'll wear slippers everywhere. And I love my goofy socks. And I was actually going to wear them today, you know, to kind of set that point. But Mallory insisted that I could not wear cow print shorts up here. She said it would not, it would not fly. So you can thank her for that. But I was able to keep the socks on. 
I'm gonna show you guys just because uh, they're awesome, right? Flamingos, flamingos for the nice summer, all right? But because of that, you know, I still really wanted to wear the shorts, but again, we all can't be Brian Dupler and wear shorts in the middle of February. It doesn't happen, all right? <laughs> so. But that isn't the point, right? It is so quick for us to show a bias towards certain people without even knowing it. We all have our likes and our dislikes, and we tend to go off our own ideas and opinions based on a bias that we show in people. The truth is, we discriminate on a wide variety of platforms. We have, with education, our society puts a high value on degrees. For most, it's hard for people to rationalize choosing a trade over a college education. Personally, for my dad, he graduated from Ohio State and he was a teacher for 35 years. Uh, my father-in-law, he actually dropped out of Ohio State and he's working at the post office. Even though they both took different paths, one of them is not better or smarter than the other. They live a life focused on God at the center and they take care of their families first and foremost. If they switched roles, nothing would have changed because their value it does not come from their education. It comes from the relationships that they have with everyone. We also discriminate when it comes to wealth. When it comes to money, the poor are always described as lazy or dumb. While the rich are considered greedy and self-centered. I mean, you can't win when it comes to wealth. I'm sure all of us can agree that we would like to make more money. But I don't base my friendships or how I view people based on their income. If I did, I couldn't even be standing up. I couldn't even talk to myself. I definitely am not making the money that, you know, would make me in this high society. I should just be discriminating. When it comes to your age, when you're older, you get stuck in your ways and you don't want to see change. If you're young, that stigma is that you haven't lived enough life to even have an opinion on how the world works. Now, I'm 28 and I own a house. But when I try to fix anything within my house, it is a absolute train wreck. It does not work, it never works, and I always have to call Chad to bail me out of it, constantly. I'm always figuring it out. And if I'll go and I'll try to fix something, or if I go to do anything, and I, it's, I go to do something stupid, I always you know, get the saying, well, you're dumb, but you're young, and you'll figure it out, figure it out. Well, I didn't figure it out because I was young. I figured it out because it was dumb, right? So it doesn't matter about your age. It matters just on how you view people and how you gain with those relationships. As Christians, that should never be our stand to discriminate against anything. If our goal is to live Christ-like, then our mindset needs to be Christ-driven. Now, I can't say this enough. We need to be completely zoned in for God. Every part of our life needs to be centered around him. Everyone should be welcome in our lives. And Jesus, he was our example of that. Jesus never showed favoritism. A clear teaching and message from the Bible is that God did not show favoritism. Not once, never. Uh, one of the main examples of this was when Peter offered Cornelius and his household grace through Jesus' blood as if they were Jews. He began to recall all of Jesus' teachings while he was walking around with them, 
And he fully understood that Jesus came to forgive sins to anyone who believes in him. Not just the select few, not just the chosen people, not just the Jews. When Jesus was walking around and when he said all people, he meant everyone. There were no excuses. There were no changes or opportunities. Not If you believed him and followed him, you were, you were to be saved. Acts 10.34 said, Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Now, when Peter was saying that, he was overwhelmed. And it, it was a cultural shock, right? The Jews and the Gentiles back then, they did not see eye to eye. The Jews were the chosen people, and they would have followed everything. And the Gentiles, they were outcasts. They were not something to be a part of. But again, Peter saw that, and he saw the difference that he needed to make. Because of that declaration, the Jewish church determined that it needed to drop its cultural war with the Gentiles and accept them into the church. I mean, this was, this was a huge deal. Uh, when I was just reading over it and just looking at it, it kind of, I could just graze right past that, right? Because now we know that Jesus meant all. But back then, I mean, for them to really drop that war and to really just start to collaborate and get together, I mean, that changed the foundation of Christianity in its whole. I mean, that gave us the opportunity to witness to everyone. But that decision and lesson, that should have been driven home from being eyewitnesses to Jesus' testimony. Peter finally declared it, but everyone had saw how Jesus was. And we should have already been able to just make that clear by watching and acting how he did. Jesus loved everyone individually and irreplaceably. Yet at the same time, he loved all the same, regardless of face, place, or race. If you, you look through the Gospels, Jesus was often found surrounded with the wrong crowd. I mean, think about it. The people that he surrounded himself with were not the ideal people. His disciples were fishermen. They just weren't high in society. But in a typical Jew, they would not have associated themselves with these type of people. However, Jesus was anything but typical. And there are a number of examples of him being around the wrong crowds found in the Gospels. Uh, I want to highlight three of them. Uh, the first one is the woman caught in the act of adultery. <clears throat> John 8, 2 through 4 says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now this woman had committed a crime, and by law, she was supposed to be stoned to death. The crowd was justifiably angry, and we can all agree that this woman, she deserved to be punished. However, Jesus, he not only came to her defense, but he casted guilt to all in the crowd who wanted to condemn her. He, and he did this by saying, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. I mean, that's powerful stuff. Not only did he step up and take initiative to protect her, he went after the other people to let them know that we're all the same. Just because she made a mistake, 
doesn't mean that we all won't make a mistake at some point. He could have went with a popular decision and been a favorite to the crowd by agreeing with him. Yet again, he stood alone by the woman and he led her away from her life of sin through love, grace, and mercy. Uh, the next one was when Jesus found himself with the man with leprosy. Matthew 8, 1 through 3, it says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Now, back then, people with leprosy, they suffered banishment from not only their family, but from their neighbors, from anyone, right? They often lived on the outskirts of town. And they wouldn't even get a nod from strangers because touching a person with leprosy was inexcusable and fear of spreading onto them. So they were completely outcasted. Yet Jesus broke that tradition. He was willing to tear down that stigma and he healed that man without even the slightest fear of what others may think of him or the horrible consequences that he could have faced. Now, I just wanted you guys to remember that. Jesus was God, but he was fully man. So he could have been, I mean, anything, he could have been hurt. He could have gotten sick. He was fully man, and yet he did not care. He came to heal and to forgive all. That wasn't the favorable option, but Jesus treated everyone with compassion. Another one uh, that I want to just highlight, but this is not the only one in the Gospels, was Zacchaeus, the corrupt tax collector. You can find this in Luke 19, 5 through 7. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, we may not stone people anymore. It's a good thing. We may not banish family members who are sick, but something that we do all hate and we can agree on is we hate paying taxes, right? <laughs> Jesus, at this point, he was gaining an amazing repetition amongst the crowds, but he could have lost it all when he chose to be in the presence of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he took advantage of many, which led to his wealth. The crowds began to mutter, and there's no doubt that they were questioning Jesus. Even after everything he's done, they were still questioning him. But his goal, again, was not to save certain people. He was here to save everyone. During his ministry, it is clear that Jesus helped the needy, healed the sick, and he forgave the guilty. All because he truly loved everyone. There were no favorites. Jesus treated everyone with equal love, respect, and grace. Even the religious leaders who hated Jesus and tried everything they could to find a reason to have him crucified. Even they could not help but to admit certain things about him. That's how powerful Jesus was. 
because he didn't show favorites, because he wasn't a sinner. The people who hated him, they couldn't even help but give him a compliment. Luke 20, 21 says, So the spies questioned him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show impartiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. His enemies said that. So again, what what do we want to take from that? Jesus did not show favoritism. His disciples lived it. The crowds that followed him felt it. And his enemies were enraged by it. With everything that was coming and and how Jesus knew it was coming, he never showed that favoritism. He did everything he could for everyone. Even when he was getting arrested, right? And the ear was cut off. What did he do? He healed him. That's something that we can all take from. That even some of our biggest enemies, Jesus loved them. Now, sadly, it is human nature to love some more than others. I don't know if you guys know. I'm sure you do. But I have a little one that's going to be due in May. Little baby boy, right? And I can already tell you that in my eyes, this kid is going to be absolutely perfect. No doubt about it, he's going to be perfect. All right, well, maybe he's not going to be perfect because when he gets to be a teenager, it might go a little bit different because I got to deal with these chumps right here every single Sunday, right? Every Sunday night. And it can go either way how I feel about him sometimes. Kenzie, great. No complaints, right? Love Kenzie. The Morris girls, they're fantastic. uh, Kiara and Chloe in the back, they're helping out. Can't get on them. They're helping out, helping me. I appreciate it. We're going to skip Trenton. Going to skip Trenton. Lauren, Lauren, we're like best friends, right? And then there's Carson. All right? There's Carson. (laughs) Oh, Carson. Everyone knows how I feel about Carson. Carson, are you my favorite Blanton? Yes, you are. You're my third favorite Blanton. Out of the three Blanton kids, she's my third favorite. I'm just kidding. No, I absolutely love Carson. But I use Carson for all of my examples. I use Carson. Carson is highlighted. We all, we all love Carson. We all love Carson. I love them all. I was just giving them a hard time. But yeah, I mean, that's how it is, right? We are all guilty of showing love uh, to others more than some. We tend to favor those who agree with us, who show respect for us, who we enjoy to be around. But we're not alone in this, right? It was happening amongst the people that James was writing to way back when. And that's why James offers practical principles to help us avoid favoritism. They come right out of the book of James. What I'm going to tell you guys right now, I mean, it's nothing that you guys couldn't see. Again, James was a straight shooter. If you read this, this is what you would see. Now, These things, they're going to help you avoid favoritism. However, Valentine's Day is this Friday. And if there ever was a day to show favoritism, it is that day. You cannot use this passage in James. You cannot use what I'm telling you right now to try to get out of this holiday. I already tried and it didn't work. All right. I'm looking out for you guys. Make sure that you know what your wife's favorites are or this weekend is not going to be the favorite part of your week. All right. 
But when it comes to the practical principles to help us avoid favoritism, I want you guys to see everyone from God's perspective. James 2, 5 through 7, it says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now, with these verses, I'm not saying that every poor person is going to be rich in faith and inherit his kingdom. But it's those who love God will. Now, genuine love is having a relationship with God. You have that relationship through fellowship. We all come to church, right? We go to small group. We have that fellowship amongst those who believe. We stay obedient to his word. And we stand firm in the faith, no matter what. Now, in Grove Students, our mission statement is simple. I'm going to quiz them. Sorry, I'm going to quiz them. Do you guys remember? It's three things. Come on. We can do this. When we talk about a relationship, that's the first part. Do you guys remember it? Come on. We can do it. Relationship. All right. We're going to work on it. We're going to work on it. All right. We're going to work on it. We're going to work on it. All right. Where's Kiara at? She knows it normally. All right. No, but our mission statement, we changed it uh, when we started here. And what we want is, for gross students, our mission statement is to have a relationship over a religion. Light bulb, right? Relationship over religion. Yes, we are Christians, but our main goal is to not to adhere to a set of rules and check things off our Christian checklist. I don't want you to pray because I told you to. I don't want you to read the Bible because I told you to. I don't want you to show up to church because your parents forced you to, right? Our main goal is to develop and grow in our relationship with God and live a life for God. We're always talking about how a relationship works. Not just with God, but for everyone. You talk daily. You put faith into each other. You show love towards one another during both the good and the bad times. Overall, you just live a life working and supporting each other. So why wouldn't we want that with God? Once we can do this with God, it becomes second nature for us to do that with others. We better understand these Christ-like qualities in our other relationships when we work on them daily with God. We are not meant to take on our lives alone. That was never God's intention. We are supposed to have God to lean on. But you're only going to be able to lean on him by having that relationship with him. He's here for everyone, but you have to put in the effort. The next thing I wanted you guys to know is I want you to commit to keeping the royal law. James 2, 8 through 11 says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, 
you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit uh, murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Now, James makes it clear that in order for us to not show favoritism, we must keep the royal law. And it should be easy, right? Love, you know, love yourself, love others as you love yourself. It can be easy for us to love ourselves and what we do because that's what we're working towards. We work to better ourselves in all aspects of our life. With your careers, you know, you're working to get that promotion. You're working to provide for your family. Within your family, right, you have respectful kids. You want to love your spouse. You want to have your house in order. And with your health, you want to be looking and feeling the best version of yourself. But when we look at others, we wonder what they are doing, why they're doing it that way, and how we could do it better. If we can show commitment to the royal law and love everyone, what a wonderful place the world could be. Amen? Love is contagious. It brings a desire to protect each other's interests. I know this can be hard. We're gonna str we struggle with this one a lot. But this is something that is just fundamental, and James really wanted you guys and all of us to understand. Uh, finally, I want you guys to beware of judgment. James 2, 12 through 13, it says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now I want you guys to keep in mind that you will be judged. We will all be judged when we stand before God. And we need to be careful on how we treat everyone around us. God knows our hearts. And the way we treat others will have an impact on how God views and judges us. So nowadays, there's a lot of talk, but we have a big thing called of a, of a me mentality. We're going to take care of me and those who I care about and love first and foremost. However, it is important for us to extend this grace and mercy to our other relationships. Because that demonstrates our faith and our justification before God. Again, the only person who's going to know your heart is God. But I want, when I have to stand before him, I want mercy to reign over judgment. And for that to happen, I need to be a person of mercy, and I need to not hate, not show hate. And there are times that that's going to happen. But again, if I am going to be so Christ-focused and Christ-centered, then I need that to pour out to everyone. I want people to know when I walk around that I am a Christian. That does not mean I have to walk around carrying my Bible the whole time. That doesn't mean I have to go sit down and tell every person about Jesus Christ, even though that could be awesome, right? I want people just to know that God lives in me and I live for him. So in conclusion, 
I want you to know that God's heart is that the church is a class-free and a judge-free zone. Here at the Grove and at any church, it needs to be a priority that we do not show favoritism. When we all walk into the church, we are all the same. We all come before God in his house to praise him and to grow in our personal relationship for him and with him. When we was talking about earlier about, you know, what you should wear and everything, that doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter how you look, how much money you make, or what you've done in your past. We are all irreplaceable to God. He wants each and every one of us. He is longing for that relationship with us. So I just want you guys to remember that people are going to be one to Jesus, not through judgment, but through his grace. And that's our responsibility. We need to go out and help the town of Baltimore and the town of Pickerington. We need to have Grove Gives Global. We need to start being a community where we can bring people into this church. Getting them here, it all starts with us. That's our opportunity. That's our job. And we're going to do that by not showing judgment or casting judgment. We're going to do it by the grace of God. When I was reading this passage, right, I have skipped over it a couple times because I thought, you know, I don't play favorites. And you may think the same thing. You may think that you don't play favorites and that this won't apply to you. But the fact is, everyone casts judgment no matter how big or how small. How insignificant that you might feel that it is, we're still uh, casting judgment. I want us to keep the royal law. I want us to love our neighbor as ourselves. I want all of us to be a person that shows mercy to those around us. So some of the big questions that I wanted you guys to take from this sermon and uh, just move on with it throughout this week is I want you to think in your life, and I want you to think, who do you struggle with? Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's a group of believers. And I want you to figure out who in your life are not welcome and how we can make them welcome. And I'm going to leave you guys with this verse. Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, clothed, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked right after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothed you? When did we see you in, or sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, 
whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you have done for me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want you to thank, thank you for all that you do and all you have done for us. I pray for our church to have confidence in their hearts. I pray that we should not shy away from speaking truth because we show favoritism to someone. I pray that we would only fear you. Lord, help us not to be arrogant or conceited, but rather give us humble spirits and help us to treat others as more important than ourselves. It is in your name that we make the church a class-free zone. Work through us to treat all people with love, grace, and truth. We love you, Lord. Amen.